Education from the sermon series, Justice Matters, spoken by Pastor Kevin Swanson. Good morning, Metro. We're at the end of our six-week series, Justice Matters. Justice matters not because we think it's a good idea. Justice matters because it matters to God. If you look in the Old Testament, the two things that make God the most angry are injustice and idolatry. And uh, we've been talking about things that are not just in our world. And uh, only scratch the surface, but hopefully we're whetting your appetite uh, and, and motivating you towards, towards movement, towards action. Um, education is our topic for today. I'm going to open us in prayer, so let's just join our hearts together. Uh, Father, I thank you for you, the fact that you don't keep your truth a secret from us. And I thank you for all that you've revealed from your word in these last five Sundays, and I trust that will continue today. And that you will give us hearts that are, are open to receive what you have for us. And then hearts that are willing to ask the question, so now what? Uh, how do I move ahead now with the things that you have revealed to us? God, since we're looking at education today, I just want to say a special prayer for our educators that are here in the congregation today. I know we have many school teachers here, both public and private. We have mentors here today. We have tutors here uh, we have parents here uh, who are in charge of the education for their own children. God, I pray a blessing on each one of them as this new school year starts, Lord, that they will uh, not get weary in what they do. I know some of them work in very difficult circumstances, and uh, we need to back them up and encourage them as best we can. And so I pray right now, Lord, that they will experience your strength and your courage as they uh, begin a new season, a new school year. Uh, God, once again, we commit ourselves to you. Uh, thank you for meeting with us here in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, I don't know if you noticed or not on week one, if you were here, of our six-week service series, that we did not select a scripture verse as kind of the theme verse for uh, the six weeks of Justice Matters. But if we would have done that, I believe that it should have been Matthew 22, verse 39. This is where a religious leader approaches Jesus trying to kind of trap him. And uh, it turns out that Jesus and this man agree 100% on what the first and greatest commandment was, that it was to love God with everything in us. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on to say this in Matthew 22, 39. And the second, the second commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And if you think back to the five weeks that we've been together already, the five different topics that we have looked at here, every one of those points out to us a neighbor that we might not have recognized as a neighbor before. We found out in the first week when Pastor Michael Carrion was with us that the immigrant, the sojourner, the stranger among us is our neighbor, and we are mandated by Jesus to love the immigrant in our midst. The second Sunday, we turned to the environment but we found out that the decisions and choices that we make here actually have implications around the world on neighbors of ours that we may never meet. And as we demand more and more in our, in our consumer-oriented society, we are actually not loving neighbors in other places that are bearing the brunt of our decisions. Pastor Peter spoke to us in the third week about gender, pointing out how 
how in this world, females in many places, our country included, are still second-class citizens in terms of compensation and leadership roles that they are fully equipped for. And he urged us to love our female neighbors, us men, to love our female neighbors and help them to receive the justice that God has for them. We invited Pastor Larry Aiken, a prison chaplain, to come in and join us on week four, and he revealed to us that the incarcerated men and women in our country are our neighbors. It's clear. Go to the scriptures. It's right there, those words. You don't have to read between the lines. Those in prison are objects, should be objects of our love. They are our neighbors. And then last week, Pastor Sunita did a masterful job of reminding us once again that racial injustice continues in our country and in other countries in the world today. And we are surrounded by people that are not receiving justice, not receiving equal access, not receiving equal opportunities because of their ethnicity. And those people also are our neighbors. Today we end with education. Education matters. We're going to look at some injustices in the education system. But before we do, I would like to ask your permission to actually go off script for a few minutes here, strictly in terms of our education topic. Because I would like us to look at a passage of scripture where I believe that Jesus answers the question that may be rolling around in your mind right now, like, but how? How, how, do we, how do we approach injustice when we see it? What's, you know, what's, what's the plan? What's the strategy? I think Jesus answers that in one very short passage. And by his actions, we can see a beautiful example of how we can respond to any one of these injustices and others that are not even on the list. So I'm going to take a few moments uh, to look at that passage. Then we're going to turn fully to our topic of education that we'll be looking at today. At the end of the service, we're going to be invited to the Lord's table since this is the first Sunday of the month. So we have several things going on here, and I hope we do not lose any of you as we do this service this morning. In the Gospel of John, chapter 2, we have a situation that is very familiar to all of us, but we see a different side of Jesus than we see throughout the rest of the Gospels. I'm going to read to us verses 13 through 16 of John chapter 2. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords, and he drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And then from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, the very same instance, the same event from the pen of a different one of the Gospel writers, Mark says this in verse 7 of Mark 11. Jesus said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? And what I'd like to ask us to do for a moment here is to consider the actions of of Jesus in this passage. What does Jesus do? And then keep in mind, how can we replicate these actions? It starts off in verse 13. It says, it was almost time for the Jewish Passover. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. 
Jesus went. Jesus moved. Jesus didn't sit still. If you go back one verse, you find out that Jesus was in Capernaum. This is kind of like his Jersey Shore, if you will. He was with his best friends and his family. He was kind of kicking back with his people, and he intentionally left that place, that comfort zone, and he went to Jerusalem, the hotbed of opposition to what Jesus was teaching and who Jesus was. Jesus was intentional. Jesus went to Jerusalem. Secondly, we see in verse 14, in the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So because Jesus went, then Jesus found something. Jesus discovered something. If he would have sat still, he never would have found what he did in the temple courts because he found that the very temple of God had been converted into a marketplace. Now, how absurd would it be, church, if you would have walked through those doors 15 minutes ago and coming in expecting to see all the seats set up like this, but instead you found a guy selling vegetables over here, somebody selling bread, somebody selling fruit, somebody selling local honey, and, and, and they're shouting out, come over here, I got the best deals, come and you would say, what's happened? Who, who's hijacked our sanctuary? We pay good money to worship in here on Sunday, and somebody came in and set up a market here? That's exactly what Jesus found in the very temple of God there in Jerusalem. And with good reason, Jesus calls these people who had moved into the temple selling stuff robbers. He says, you have turned my father's house into a den of robbers. Now, there's two reasons that he called them robbers. One was they were undoubtedly inflating the prices for the people who came and needed to buy animals, people who had traveled from a great distance and couldn't bring a sacrificial animal with them, they, they could buy it right there in Jerusalem. But these guys had a monopoly. They had the best, the best place to set up their stands, and they could charge just about anything they wanted. So they were gouging the people, but secondarily, and probably m more importantly, they were robbing the people of their place of access to God. People came to the temple to pray, to worship God, to be taught. And that was robbed of them because these guys had converted the temple into a place of doing business. Jesus went and he found injustice in the very temple of God. Verse 15. So he made a whip out of cords. Stop right there. This is the only time in all of scripture that Jesus makes a weapon. Jesus makes a weapon because he's ready for action. There is something he's discovered there that is so wrong, it is so unjust that he's taking extreme measures. Jesus made a whip. Jesus made a strategy. Jesus made a plan to confront the injustice. And he built, makes this whip out of weaving some cords together. And then further on in verse 15, so he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their table. Jesus made a strategy when he got this whip, and then he put the strategy into action. He, he goes into this cowboy mode, and he starts herding the cattle out of the temple courts and scaring the sheep off, driving them all out. There were, there were 
money changers that were, again, gouging the people as they changed currency for them. Jesus turns their tables upside down. He scatters them. There were things in the temple that didn't belong there. Jesus drove them off and scattered them to make room for what should have been there all along. And then finally, at the end, Jesus speaks. Nothing's recorded yet that he spoke. But now in verse 16, to, to those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. And in Mark eleven fifteen, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And with those words, Jesus is identifying what this place is. He says, this is my father's place. This is God's place. And you have perverted it. You have violated it and turned it into a marketplace. You have no business being here. God has a purpose for this place. It can't happen while you guys are here. Jesus speaks truth to power at the end. He's not just talking to the sellers. No, no, no. He's also talking to the religious leaders that have had their attention drawn to it because they're the ones that allowed these merchants to come in. And Jesus is telling them, you guys have made this into a den of robbers. You guys have violated God's design for this place. But that's not all. He's also talking to the people who lost their access to God. And those people realize they now have a champion. Somebody's taken up their cause. Somebody's fighting for justice because they had been the victims of injustice. Jesus speaks at the end. The result, the temple function was restored to God's original design. People now had access to worshiping God, to praying, to sitting under the teaching there in the temple. Five simple steps. Jesus went. He wasn't content to sit still. He found that there was injustice going on someplace. So he made a plan to address the injustice. And then he put the plan into action. That was bold. It was courageous. It was risky, but it needed to happen. And then he spoke, revealing to everybody involved why the actions that he took were legitimate. Church, I would suggest that this is a model that we can apply as a church, as an individual, as an underground group, as a couple. We can do this when we discover injustice in our society, in our culture. But we got to move. We can't sit still and wait for it to come to us. No, we have to do like Jesus and move out of the comfort zone and go into the hotbed of injustice so God can reveal to us what's going on and then what our part is in helping to overcome that injustice. So with that in mind, I'd like us to turn to our topic today, which is education. Education. Education matters. There is injustice in education in many different ways. But I'd like to suggest this is a definition just that we can work with to kind of put us all on the same page here in terms of educational injustice. Injustice happens when certain groups of people are denied access to quality education based on gender, race, zip code, corruption, greed, special needs, religion, etc. Because that list could get longer. But when any one of these or a combination thereof stand in the way of somebody having access to the education that's available to somebody else, injustice 
has taken place, and it needs to be corrected. Now, educational injustice is clearly a global problem. It's not something that's unique to us. It is, it is a global. As I did research for this message here, I found out some interesting facts. I found out that in Africa, in many African countries, as, as students get older, more and more females drop out of school. So that by the time they get into high school, you have a whole lot more boys that are still in school and a whole lot of girls that have dropped out of school. So somebody did some research to find out what's going on here. And what they found was amazing. What they found was these girls were dropping out of school because of inadequate sanitary facilities at the schools. That these schools didn't have private places where these girls, when they were menstruating, could go to care for their hygienic needs. And so they just quit coming to school. And after they quit coming to school for a few months during their time of the month, it's like, I can't even get caught up. So they just dropped out of school. Not an issue for the boys at all. Educational injustice. Found out that in, in, in several Middle Eastern and Central Asian countries, that there is no priority put on education for either boys or girls, except for a small minority of boys that are taken into the religious system there and get some kind of education. The rest are pretty much denied education altogether. Found out that public education, as we experience it here in the States, doesn't even exist in a lot of countries. It's like there's no, no such thing as free education for all. And some Many people who are living in great poverty, they cannot even afford the, the little bit that they have to pay to enroll their children in the government or public schools. And so those children will grow up illiterate without any education. And, and we could go on and on. Um, our church here, if, if, if you don't know it, we're engaged with an organization called Zamele in South Africa. And one of the things that that organization does is it's, it's, it's helping to provide education, equal access to education for students in these rural villages. And it's being successful and, uh, and, and, and good for us here at Metro for taking part in something like that. But, but educational injustice has a very local face as well. It's not just out there over seas in other countries. Now, I'm operating under a certain premise here this morning, and I know some of you are on the same page with me, but if you're new here at Metro, maybe you're not. But here's the thing about Metro Community Church. Our leadership several years ago determined that God was calling us, this local church, to this community. That there's this connection between Metro Community Church and Inglewood, New Jersey, that is something that, that is God-directed. He has a call on this church. There's lots of great churches around us here that aren't really connected to a community. They just find a place where they can buy property, build a building, buy, rent a building or whatever, and, and they really aren't highly connected to the community. And that's, one, that's fine. I'm not putting them down at all. I'm saying that Metro is operating from a different set of rules, that God called us to this community for a reason, to make a difference here to bring transformation to this community. So as I move ahead with our message here today, that is the backdrop there, that this is where God has placed us. And I live in Englewood. My address has a 07631 zip code behind it. And, and it doesn't make me proud to say that the reputation of the public education system in Englewood is not great. It's not great. If you live in this area, you know that Surrounding communities around here 
have much better educational, public educational systems than Inglewood does. There are bright spots here in Inglewood. It's not all bad. It's not a train wreck. There are bright spots. But most people who move to this area, if they have school-aged children or anticipate it, they're looking at other communities, not Inglewood, New Jersey. So to prepare for this message, uh, I sought out two public educators from Metro Community Church family. And uh, they both have served extensively here in Inglewood at different levels and different places. And I thought, I just want to hear from them to hear what do they have to tell me about the public education system and situation here in Inglewood. And I thought, you know, we'll talk for 20 to 30 minutes. And with each one of them, it like bumped up against two hours. And I was taking notes as fast as I could. And it was like, I had no idea. I had no clue what was going on here as these two educators shared with me. And at the end of my time with those two educators, God bless them, there was no doubt in my mind that the school-aged children in Inglewood, New Jersey, for the most part, are victims of educational injustice. It's substandard here. Pastor Peter, several weeks ago, shared with us from this pulpit some data about the education situation here in Inglewood uh, when we were talking about, you know, us wanting to get our new building eventually and stuff, but looking at the whole community. Um, we're not graduating as many students from high school as the surrounding high schools are. The standardized test scores for our children in Inglewood are lower than their peers in surrounding communities. The preparedness to advance from one grade level to the next is lower here. We're, we're, we're pushing a higher percent of children into the next grade without being fully prepared for that grade level. Now, I could go into a whole lot more, but I think you've got the picture there. The question then in my mind is, so okay, so what? What do we do with this information now that we know that the community that God has called us to is struggling, has challenges, is experiencing educational injustice. And I would say that we go back to what we saw from Jesus' response in John chapter 2. How did Jesus respond when he found injustice? Made a plan. Made a strategy. So let me just share with you three different lenses that we can look at this education view through. The first one is a macro lens, it's through the lens of the public education system here in Inglewood. My first comment is to those of you who actually live here in Inglewood, call Inglewood your home, because you are welcomed, invited, challenged to attend the school board meetings when they meet every single month. And believe it or not, they meet in this room once a month. And the next meeting is coming up on the 13th of this month at 8 p.m. And you, as a resident of Inglewood, are encouraged to attend those meetings. That will be your go. That will be your start. That will be your moving out of your comfort zone and exposing yourself to something that will reveal some truth to you. You will find something if you start attending the Board of Education meetings. Some of you may be actually a bit politically motivated and you could run for a seat on the school board. How cool would it be if Metro Community Church had one or two of our family members 
sitting on the Board of Education in Inglewood, New Jersey. They wouldn't just be going and finding things. They would be putting themselves in a position of helping to create strategies and solutions. They might be called upon to drive out some things and scatter some things that don't belong to make way for the justice that needs to happen for our children here in Inglewood. Now, I know for some of you that's a bridge too far. No, no, I'm not running for the school board. Okay, fine. Our public schools here are always needing volunteers. And you don't even have to be an Inglewood resident to volunteer at a public school here in Inglewood. We've been here in Greco Elementary School for over seven years. We've had wonderful relationships with the administration here. Principal Bailey right now is a great friend of ours. We have been asked in the past repeatedly if we can provide people who can come in and do a little bit of tutoring, read in English to a child who lives in a home where English is not spoken, to help that child keep up with the rest of them, listen to children read, correct their pronunciation. Things we can just do. It's just, it's, it's not that hard. But we have been invited to do that. Once we get in and start doing that, once we go and once we find, we'll find more things, more ways that we can help the public education system here. Finally, within the system, you can adopt a school teacher. Now, there's no website I can point you to that's the Adopt the Teacher website. But you know teachers, and if you don't, ask people and find out somebody who knows a teacher. Linda and I adopted a school teacher here about a year ago. Uh, she lives in Englewood, but she actually teaches in a pretty rough district down in West Orange. And we found out that in her school district, they didn't have budget for the basic supplies. These kids come back to school on the first day uh, in September. And, and they don't have pencils, and they don't have paper, and they don't have rulers, and basic things for, uh, for teaching the kids. So what she was doing was she was using her own money to buy school supplies so her classroom had what was needed to teach these kids. And we thought, no, 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 time out, time out. You don't get paid that much. And so we started asking her, what do you need? What are the supplies? What are the costs? Stuff like that. And so we partnered with her now to purchase the school supplies for her class when the kids come back to school. We found out later some of her kids lived in, in such impoverished home situations. They had zero connectivity in their homes. And these kids were growing up basically illiterate in terms of technology and electronics. And so what she did is she researched and she found that you can get some of these cheap tablets for under $100. And she started buying him those for the students in her class who had no connectivity at all in their home. So that at least in the classroom where they could connect to, to the internet, they could be learning some computer skills, learning how to research things on the web, and they could do some of their homework on their tablet when they went home. And at least it was keeping them up with the peers. And we asked her, well, how much are those things costing you? And she told us, it's like, oh, Put us down for three. We're going to help you give these things to your kids that don't have them. Now, you can't have our teacher. She's ours. you got to find your own, okay? But there's teachers out there that are doing this kind of thing in this day and age, believe it or not. So find them. Adopt them. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. We can do this. This is not beyond us. This is something that we can actually make a difference in. Another macro lens is through the lens of what I would, I, I just want to call Metro Community Center. If you're new here to this church, uh, you may not know that a few years ago, Metro Community Church started a new organization called Metro Community Center. It is incorporated. It's, it's government 
license, 501c3, they can receipt donations, have their own board of directors, their own executive leadership. But Metro Community Center can do things that the church could never do. And through the center, we are getting into different areas in this community and helping to make some changes in a variety of areas. Metro Community Center is like a three-legged stool. One leg is recreation, one leg is the arts, one leg is education. And as far as education is concerned, our, kind of our flagship right now is called Metro Life, the Metro Life program. Metro Life is a program that targets high school students that need some extra attention to help them make it to the finish line and graduate from high school and get their diploma. And not only that, to prepare them so they can go into college should they choose to do that. And, it's, and Metro Life does this through a variety of ways academic and non-academic things. They meet together three times a week with these small groups of students. Every student is paired up with a mentor, an adult mentor. And the vast majority of those adult mentors have come from the Metro Community Church family. You guys right now are sitting in this room and there are mentors and former mentors around you who have been part of the Metro Life program. God bless every one of you. It's an amazing uh, thing that you're doing, amazing contribution. I've heard the stories. I've heard from you mentors about the relationships you've built and the difference it has made in the lives of these students. So Metro Community Center and the Metro Life Program are ways that we come alongside the school system here in Inglewood to make a difference. We're not going to start a school. We're going to support and supplement and resource the schools that are already here so we can move away from educational injustice. Metro Life at some points has been affirmed by the public education folks here in Inglewood, and sometimes it's been ignored by the public education folks. And we just have to work with that. It has its ups and downs, but we're going to plow through on this thing because we know and we've seen what a difference it has made. Almost every student that has gone through Metro Life has graduated from high school, and almost every one of them has moved on to higher education after they finished high school. But it's not just students and children that are suffering from uh, educational injustice here. It's adults as well. There is not a whole lot in Englewood to help adults. Uh, we dream of, we envision things like ESL programs for immigrants that have recently come to this country. And by the way, Englewood is full of people that English is not their first language. We envision things like prenatal classes for moms-to-be, parent classes, computer training, training in, doing, in, in, in participating in a job interview or filling out a job application. And when I think about those things, Metro, it's like, no, this is you. This is what you, you're good at this stuff. You know all this stuff. You don't have to go get extra training to participate in this level of supplementing the education in this community here. This is something that we can do. This is within our grasp. As we see this, as we find these things, God will help us to create a strategy so we can bring justice to these communities. And in the meantime, please continue to support Beyond the Building, our campaign to ultimately get into our own building 
If you're new here, we're in a three-year capital campaign. Most of you have made commitments to that that you're fulfilling right now. Thank you very much for that. We're over $400,000 already. The goal is to raise $2.5 million for a down payment on a building or property or something to get into our own space. I'm predicting that we can easily double or triple our effectiveness in this town by having our own space. We just rent this on Sundays, and our office on the other side of town is just absolutely bursting at the seams. To have the space we need is going to allow us to make a much bigger footprint in this community in terms of educational injustice. Church, this is within our grasp. Let's not lose sight of that. And then finally, I want to shift from the macro view down to the micro view. And if I can, I actually want to come right into your homes right now for a moment and talk to you parents that are here today about education. I've noticed something in the metro New York area, that there are a lot of parents who, because of very busy, very full lifestyles, long commutes, and all that kind of stuff, have outsourced the education of their children to others. You've deliberately chosen to live in a certain community that has a great public education system so that your kids can be exposed to that. Hey, who wouldn't do that? Any parent would want that for their kid if they could. You've chosen a church that has a top-of-the-line student ministries, nursery all the way through high school, so your kids can get great spiritual education. And that's good, too. But what's not good, parents, is when we wipe our hands and just say, okay, fine, I've taken care of that. My kids are good now. Good public school, good spiritual training at their church, and now I'm just going to work real hard and earn money so we can keep living in this place, so we can keep benefiting from all these things. That's where you've gone wrong. I would go so far as to say that is an educational injustice for your own children when you completely abdicate their training to other people. It's interesting when we look in the scripture, we find that the Bible is completely silent about public education. It's not there. It's not there. It didn't exist back in the day when the Old Testament and the New Testament were written. Public education wasn't a thing. Most people didn't get educated. The vast majority of people were illiterate. We're not living in that world anymore. But Scripture is not silent to us parents. Scripture is very, very clear that parents are to train up their children in the way they should go. That parents are supposed to expose their children to truth. Truth from the Word of God. Truth from life. That parents are supposed to give history lessons to their children and tell them what has happened in the past to bring them up to where they are now so they don't repeat the same issues that their parents did. Parents are given the primary responsibility for their children's education in the Scripture. And when we find that truth, then, then, then we are challenged to do something about it. Ask ourselves the question, how am I involved in my children's education? And if your response is, I'm too busy, that's why I've moved to this neighborhood, I've selected this church for this to all happen, but I'm too busy to be involved myself, let me just kindly say to you, you are probably then too busy. That you need to change some priorities in your life so that you can create some time so that you can be an active leader in the education of your children. 
You should know what they're doing at school. You should participate in it. You should support it. You should be an active participant in that. Those of you that have your children here in, in uh, one of our, our student ministries, I hope you realize that everything we do here in student ministries is built on the premise that you parents are the primary teachers of your children in terms of spiritual truths. And that what we do here is to supplement that. Do, do you know why our directors in the different ministries send you parents an email? Some of you get an email every week and it tells what the lesson is the coming Sunday. That's not just because we think we're cu you're curious. No, we give that to you so that you can sit down with your child. You've got the scripture verse. You've got the, the topic, the subject of the lesson. You've got some conversation points or whatever comes in the email. You should give it to them first. You should sit down and talk with them before Sunday. So when they show up on Sunday and they start getting taught that your kids are going, yeah, I know that. My dad taught me that already this week. That's what we want. We want it to start with the parents, and we want this to supplement. We're happy to help you. We're happy to encourage you in any way possible. If you need to talk to one of the directors, please go and talk to them. But don't abdicate your responsibility as parents. This is something we can do better at. We don't want educational injustice to be happening under our roofs. As we look at these six topics that we've considered for the last six weeks, I would say without a doubt that every one of these topics calls us to love our neighbor. Sometimes our neighbor is on the other side of the planet. Sometimes our neighbor is in our community. Sometimes our neighbor is under the roof of our house. But each of these justice issues can be addressed, and we can express our love by addressing these issues the exact same way Jesus did, by going, by finding what's going on out there, making a plan, driving and scattering when that needs to happen, and speaking truth to power. Now, I don't want anybody to be overwhelmed by this list because there's nobody here in this room that I believe God wants to adopt all six of those as your primary motivation. No, not at all. But I am equally convinced that for every one of us in this room today, myself included, there's, there's probably one thing on the list. It's going to be different for different people, but one thing on the list that you're drawn towards, that God is trying to get your attention, that God is saying, hey, you could make a difference in that area. There's something you could do. There's a place for you in that particular area. I believe if we listen, God will direct us towards one of these justice issues or maybe one that isn't even on the list. So we're going to end our time together this morning, right before I pray, in a very non-standard way. I'm actually going to give you guys the next 90 seconds, and I want you to consider this question. That's on the screen there. Where is God calling you to confront injustice? But I don't want you to consider it for yourself because I want you to turn to your neighbor and ask them the question. Ask your neighbor where God is calling them to confront injustice. And if they don't have an answer, that's okay. It at least is going to get some thought going. So the next 90 seconds is yours. Turn to the person next to you. I want to hear you start talking now.
Thank you very much. When I challenged the first service people with that, you know, they, they talked for about 90 seconds and then it just really dropped off like that. You guys talked for about 90 and then it went up like this. So I don't know if you started talking about lunch or <laughs> if you were actually, you know, experiencing some synergy with the other person. But my goal here is that by having a, a quick conversation like that, maybe something will get kind of sealed in your own mind. Cement. Yes, I do need, yes, I can do... I'm going to find somebody else to do this with or whatever, because action is the only thing that's going to address injustice. And we are called to act. We're called to follow the example of Jesus. We're called to be people of action. Let's pray together. God, I just want to thank you for my sisters and brothers that are gathered here today and for those that have uh, come through this entire Justice Matters series, Lord, we have been exposed to so much from many different voices. We've looked from the Old Testament to the New Testament. We've seen your heart. We know that you are a God of justice. But God, we also know that you have called us to be activists, not to be pacifists. God, you, you want us to be in the game. You want us to be on the field, not in the bleachers watching. And so I pray, Lord, for each and every one of us here today that as we consider what you have shown us in these last six weeks, that now you will stir us to action. And even if that action is just taking one first step in a certain direction, that's good enough because that's going to shed new light. That's going to open doors and opportunities. God, we want to be known as a people who love our neighbors deeply. Please show us how to bring that into fruition and make that a priority in our lives. Thank you, God. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. If you just take out your um, communication card or turn your app on, um, some next steps here in response uh, to this message. Today I'm receiving God's gift of salvation. Uh, every week we want to make sure this is an open door here at Metro. If there are any of you here today that have never come into a relationship with God through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, uh, this, this is the first step. This is entry level into your spiritual life with God. Uh, you can check that box off. Come talk to us at the next table out there on the left on your way out. We'd love to have that conversation with you, give you some information, and mostly uh, just walk alongside you as you uh, make that decision. The second one, I will ask God to reveal where he is calling me to invest in justice. Maybe you didn't have an answer for your neighbor when they asked you. That's okay. That's fine. But would you just commit that to prayer? Uh, seriously, regularly pray and ask God, where he wants you to be involved in bringing justice into this world. The third one is, I will take my next step towards pursuing justice. I know a lot of you are already in the battle. You, you've been wounded and scarred already. You're in the game. You're, you're out there. God is using you uh, to bring justice. I salute you for it. But you want to keep your eyes open too. Uh, what, what else is God asking you to do? Maybe he wants you to recruit somebody into the same cause that you have made your own. But just ask God what the next step might be that he's leading you to. And then finally, please add me, add me 
to the Justice Advocacy and Compassion Jack Ministry email list. Pastor Sunita is our pastor of this ministry at our church. She's also the executive director of the Community Center. And she keeps a mailing list that you can only get on by asking her to put you on. And it's where she alerts us when there's new, there are new needs, new, uh, new initiatives that arise that need people to get, that she needs people to get involved in. Get on that mailing list so you can be kept aware of what things are coming up and how you can be involved in justice. So please uh, fill that out. There's a place for your prayer requests uh, on the bottom there. Um, please fill that out. We pastors pray for those requests every week. And um, that, that's a great place to get them, them down. That mailing list so you can be kept aware of what things are coming up and how you can be involved in justice. So please uh, fill that out. There's a place for your prayer requests uh, on the bottom there. Um, please fill that out. We pastors pray for those requests every week. And um, that, that's a great place to get them, them down. First Sunday of the month, when we come to the Lord's table and celebrate communion, Pastor Sunita is going to come and lead us uh, in the Lord's Supper at this time.